All right, good morning. The early church. I love the early church. I don't get here often enough to the 8 o'clock service, uh, on time at least. Um, so it's always good to, to, to hang with you all. Um, we've been in a series here, and it looks like my thing is not working here. So I may have to have some tech support. Is Benji or... Maybe it's my settings on the, on the... Oh, there it is. Beautiful. All right. Moving on. Uh, we're in a series called One Word, and uh, what my boss uh, failed to communicate to me uh, a couple weeks ago when we decided that I was going to be teaching this weekend was how difficult it is to take one word and look at the scope of Scripture and, and make this 30-minute message out of it. Because... It's, it's, we've been looking at all of these loaded words like grace and resurrection and, uh, well, I'm blanking now. Those are two great words, peace. Uh, and, and this weekend, uh, we're looking at the word kingdom. And so I've been doing a, a bit of study the past uh, couple years uh, in the area of uh, the kingdom of God and what does that mean in the scriptures and what is Jesus talking about when he's talking about the kingdom of God and, and, and where does this theme, uh, where do you see this in scripture? And so Errol, Errol said, hey, you've been working on this quite a bit. Uh, why don't you preach on it? I said, okay. So uh, just for you who uh, enjoy doing a little extra research. These are a couple of books that I've been uh, reading or have read uh, in regards to kingdom, ones that were in, in part of my study. So if you're interested in that, um, into that, the, the top two are, are a little bit more scholarly stuff. The bottom two are, uh, are also very, very good. Um, anything by Scott McKnight, I've really, really been encouraged by and appreciate. And um, so those are, those are a couple people there. So, uh, well, when I think of the word kingdom, oftentimes I get right to this concept here. That's a picture of my beautiful wife and I. And she's the one on the right. Um, the <laughs> the house behind you is a house that we, home that we were blessed to be able to purchase just a couple weeks ago. We just moved in. We we're excited. But when I think of kingdom, I think of, of this, con- well, I, okay, let me backtrack a little. You get excited about buying a new home, right? Until you realize you have like three of these that you have to unload. These endless, like endlessly deep uh, U-Haul trucks full of stuff. And you're like, where did I get all this stuff? And I have friends who were having like panic attacks, anxiety attacks, because they were unloading stuff and putting stuff away. And they, they told me they had to go home and just dig through their basement, just start chucking stuff and giving away stuff at Goodwill. Great church giveaway was yesterday. They're hauling th- things over that they just didn't need anymore. And um, even several weeks into the process, you know, your home still, uh, at least my side of the bed, uh, still is in boxes and looks a little crazy. My wife was uh, not super happy um, last night that I was sharing some of these, you know, messy looking pictures, all right, because they're not... um, I don't know, Pinterest worthy or something. And I'm thinking, honey, I'm just going to start a new Pinterest page, all right? It's going to be called reality, okay? And this is, this is what it looks like. You, you know, reality, after you move in, you still got boxes in half of your living room. But this idea of owning a home, of having stuff, it, it's this idea of building your, our little 
kingdoms here on earth. And some of them, some of us, we, we struggle because, you know, that, that whole keeping up with the Joneses and, and it, it, all it is is we're just comparing our kingdoms to, the, to other people's kingdoms. But that's a, that's a part of America, right? It's, it's part of our culture. It's the American dream to be able to own a home, to uh, make something of yourself, to, to have opportunities to, to build a life for yourself. And it starts back when we're teenagers, and if you have a teenager, you know what I'm talking about, right? If, so for some of you, if you're like me, you have a six-year-old, you kind of know what you're, you're talking about. like nowadays, kids are, are very, can be very demanding of stuff, but especially teenagers, because when, when you hit, you know, preteen, 10 years old, 11 years old, you start to see this independence, this idea of resisting authority start to, to, uh, to show up. And you're like, where did this come from? What did you do with my sweet little child that I gave birth to? And uh, you're, you're just, you're frustrated, but there's this desire for for money, they want a. They don't want a job. They just want money. They want to have purchasing power. They want to be able to download whatever apps they want on their phone. They want their driver's license. They want to be able to have a later curfew. All that stuff. You see this idea of of decision and power and authority come into play. This this strong desire to do their own thing, and and for some parents that's that's tough and it's kind of a grieving process. You see this idea of kingdom in uh, things like the Olympics. If you've been following the Olympics uh, recently, uh, last, last couple weeks they've been on, uh, you, see, you see the nationalism, you see the pride, we want to be the best, and, and America, I, I, I love America, I love being able to live in this country, but honestly, I kind of watch the Olympics sometimes, and I'm like, yeah, we're, we're sort of, there's a lot of events, yeah, we're kind of expected to win, you know, we have so, we're always right on top in the gold medal count, and, and that's, that's cool, but sometimes I just find myself rooting for the underdog, like that country who's got one person, you know, sent to the Olympics, and, and you know, let them have a gold, we've got plenty of golds, but you see this idea of competitiveness, of wanting to be on top, wanting to be number one. Uh, there is a, if you follow swimming at all, you know who Michael Phelps is and, and great athlete. But a couple years ago, four years ago, I guess, at the London Olympics, there was, he kind of underperformed and then this rivalry sort of developed between him and this other guy named Chad LeClaw from South Africa. And there is a, a pretty hilarious video that surfaced this week, uh, right before the 200 meter butterfly, which is the event where they were going to be going head to head, and uh, Chad LeClaw is just kind of doing his warm-up routine, doing his thing, and, and Michael Phelps is like sitting in the back, and so Chad is like warming up right in front of Michael, and just look at Michael Phelps' face. He's, he is just, he looks like he's going to, you know, punch someone in the face. He, he, he's, he's determined. It's a look, I mean, look at his, his mouth. He just, he just starts to like, his mouth starts to twitch right here. Yeah, you see that? And this, this look of like, I'm not going to let anything stand in my way of you, be, of you, you know, conquering my, uh, uh, taking my gold medal away from me again. And it's like, it was so, it, it became such this hilarious uh, thing that went viral. Someone even got this face tattooed on their calf 
because they wanted to be reminded of that intensity and determination and, and, and desire to be the best, to be number one. And, and it just reminded me, we will go as human beings to crazy lengths. We'll do crazy things to build our own little kingdom or, or to express our power or to, to, to show our authority and how good we are. You see it in, in even with uh, in the news, some of the, the doping scandals within the Olympics, right? And there's some controversy with Russia, and, and people will break the rules and will cut corners in order to build their little, little kingdoms. And when I think of kingdom, again, that reminds me that the home, the Olympics, this, this idea of independence at, at teenagers, because when we see the theme of kingdom, there's this idea of, of three things, kingship, power, and authority. And we see those three things all at play. And what I want to wrestle with this morning as we get into scripture, we're going to be looking at quite a bit of scripture, so hang with me, is, is where did this come from? Where did this concept come from? Because there's something deep within me sometimes that it just, it feels like, oh, this is, this is so right. And we know that, that money corrupts, power corrupts. We've seen it throughout history. That when someone gets a big ego and a big head, it, it's just like, you know, this, this idea of being on top, it, our sin nature and that pride just creeps in and takes a hold of us. But what I want to look back at is this, where in Scripture do you see this first taking place? And it goes all the way back to the beginning uh, if you have notes, go ahead and feel free to follow along, fill in blanks. I'm not going to call out the blanks as much. If, you, if you're a note person, pay attention. If you're not a note person, just, just come along for the ride. I've got a lot of energy. got three services to do. I'm going to do my best here. So uh, it goes back to Adam. And Adam in the garden, and you read this, uh, this passage in Genesis 1, I'm going to look there, and if you're a fast Bible flipper, feel free to turn to all the, all the Bible passages in here. But in Genesis 1, verse 26 through 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that he may, what? Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. There's this uh, language that Genesis, the author of Genesis uses to express what God, you, you imagine God is on his cosmic throne and he's creating everything, he's speaking stuff into place and at the pinnacle of his creation, he creates man in his image and in the ancient Near East, oftentimes kings would send, whether it was a person or they would place a statue in a uh, country or, or city that was far away to, to be an image, to be a representation of, of him. And you, you get that kind of language that mankind in being made in the image of God, our original role was somewhat related to this idea of kingdom, of ruling, of authority. God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in that place. And, and it was this idea of you are to be a steward. You're to be a representative of me. And we know that all of that went, uh, went, you know, to, went awry when we decided that we were going to put ourselves on the throne of God instead of him. 
that all this rule and authority, this decision making, that we could somehow in, in our, in our you know, broken, frail, in our free state that we had, decided we don't need God. We can choose what is best for us on our own. And from that, sin entered into the world and started to ravage the world. And you look throughout scripture and you see that God doesn't necessarily give up on this theme. God doesn't come in and say, okay, all all of you people, you know, you're no longer what I created you to be. You still see that image of God in people, broken as it may be. You still see God calling people to exercise this, this, this rule and, and power and, and authority and, and represent him, the king, well. You see it in the story of Abraham. And Abram in, in Genesis uh, 12 is given this beautiful covenant, this beautiful promise, you're going to be a blessing to all people. And in, in Genesis 17, uh, he tells Abram and Sarah, he says, nations of the world will, will be blessed through you, kings will come from your line. This idea that you're going to have some, some rulers come through your line. That was a gift from God. You see it in the life of Joseph. You see God's kingship at work. Joseph had this vision, this dream when he was a young boy that his brothers were going to bow down to him. And, and, and he, you could see some hints of pride and stuff there. You know, he goes and kind of flaunts that and tells them, hey, you know, I'm dad's favorite child, and you guys are going to bow before him. They're like, what? And so he kind of gets this bum deal, gets thrown in a pit, um, a little bit more than a bum deal, I guess, but uh, gets sent off to slavery in, in Egypt, and their experiences, humility, suffering, but stays faithful to God, and in the end, God uh, blesses him and blesses his faithfulness and exalts him to the place where, what is he, he's second in command to the most powerful person in the world, the Pharaoh. And it was a, a guy earlier, I mentioned, Mike Breen, who pointed out this is, this is kind of our relationship with, with God. This idea that, you know, Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world, but he was ruling through Joseph. And Joseph was given this, this power and, and authority to rule. And, it, and it's this idea that we are to represent God well. We are to take our rightful place in this, in this world that God has put us in to represent him well. But you guys, it's so hard because we're, we're just, and sin just creeps in and that idea of rule and power and authority. When we start to think of it, we, we, we've, our minds have, and culture have, have twisted it so much. It's so hard to think of that of authority and power in kind of a positive light. You see it in the life of Moses um, in Exodus 19. Uh, well, overall, the story of Moses and, and the story of Egypt and Israel. I mean, you talk about a clash of two kingdoms, and you see how God essentially dismantles this kingdom of Egypt by his power. And, and, and Moses is his re- representative, but he tells Moses in Exodus 19, um, Israel is to be a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. God went from, you know, Adam, Abraham to saying this entire nation, this entire nation is, I'm going to create 
to be a kingdom of priests. You're all going to be my representatives. You see it, of course, in the life of David. David, this man after God's own heart. And you see in 2 Samuel 7, the promise that his throne will be an everlasting throne. And uh, God kind of narrows it down from, okay, the nation has gone through years and years of not representing him well, and he kind of brings it to these kings. And then from David, you have Solomon and all the other kings. And after David, David was a little bit messed up. Um, The other kings after him were really messed up. And it's sad because you see throughout the Old Testament this failure after failure, this same old story where people cannot represent God well. And then you get to the prophets and the writings and you hear this language where the, the corner starts to turn to where the prophets start to speak of God coming in to rule. You have Ezekiel. He says Yahweh himself will be the shepherd of Israel. Zechariah says, Yahweh will come and all his saints with him. Isaiah says, there will be a highway in the wilderness. The valleys and mountains will be flattened out. The glory of Yahweh shall be revealed and all flesh shall shall see it together. Zion hears her watchmen shouting, here is our God. This turning point where all of a sudden the expectation of, of God as king of God showing up in a new way to assert his authority and power and rule and reign. Isaiah 52, I think, is, is here. Uh, it says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings the good news, who announces this salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy, for in plain sight they see the return of Yahweh to Zion. Yahweh has, has barred his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. How beautiful are the feet of the messenger who says, your God reigns, he rules. And so at the end of the Old Testament, um, one more scripture. This is homework, devotions this week. Psalm 72. If you want to look at Psalm 72 sometime this week. And, and, and Psalm 72 essentially encapsulates this hope that started to emerge that God would return and act. And by the end of the Old Testament, you have this intense longing for God's kingdom to break in and purge evil from the land. Whatever rulers or authorities or uh, empires were in place, especially when you get to the time of Jesus, you know, you have these people in Israel who are fed up with the Roman Empire. They are saying, where is God? What is happening? Where is his rule? Where is his authority? Where is his reign? Because, um, They've obviously failed to, to exercise it to represent him. And, and, and so they're desperate. You, you'd hear slogans, there's, you know, that there's, there's no, no king but God. And uh, you also have developing at this time, scholars say this sharp distinction between the present age and the age to come. And this was an, an idiom, a phrase that was, was starting to be used at this time where people were expecting that, that there, there's a, a current present age that is coming to an end. And their expectation was that when God 
returned, when God came back, there would be a, 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 a definite, definite chapter end, an ending point, where this old order of things would come to an end, and this new order, this new age, and you just read through Isaiah, and you want to talk about the age to come, Isaiah just paints it so beautifully, and is in this setting, uh, this context, that the Messiah shows up. So you have all these people who have this intense longing, this desire for God's kingdom to show up. And then along comes John the Baptist. In Matthew 3, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So in, in true prophet fashion, John comes out, he's wearing this, uh, this you know, robes made of camel's hair and eating grasshoppers and stuff, all this cool Bear grills type of stuff like out in the wilderness. And so he's out there and, and he's just telling people, uh, repent, the kingdom of God has come near. And, you know, people were like, oh, sweet, something's happening and there's all these people being baptized and, and, and so this new thing was coming, but no one knew exactly what it was going to look like until Jesus comes on the scene. And you see in Mark 1, it says, after John was put into prison, John did some things that uh, someone wasn't excited about, and he got thrown in prison. And Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Jesus said, what do you say? The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus is essentially telling them, uh, you know, this age to come, this thing that you've been longing for, it is drawing close. So this way that you've been living, change your mind, turn around, and come experience the kingdom and blessing that God is bringing near to us right now. Uh, here's what Stan, a guy, Stanley Grenz, a theologian, says about um, the kingdom of God and, and Jesus' teaching on it. According to the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and yeah, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. God's eschatological rule stood at the heart of Jesus' entire ministry. So that word eschatology is a fancy theologian word for the future things. So God's future rule stood at the heart of Jesus' entire ministry. You get that? If, you, if, we, if we don't get this concept of kingdom, we miss out on a lot of what Jesus was very passionate about and what he taught about. This theme was the central message of his preaching. The nearness of the divine reign, he declared, entails the command to repent and believe the gospel. Those who respond enter the kingdom, which for them is not only future, but also present. His awareness of the divine reign also motivated Jesus' deeds. His mighty acts were not simply miracles, but were signs which confirmed the nearness of God's rule. He said in Luke, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God, I forgot to edit that, uh, kingdom of God has come to you. This idea that the, everything that he was doing and putting on display was a sign that God was here and that God was near. So, 
these concepts, okay? This is not in your notes, but the, the kingdom, it's the rule and reign of God, the act of God to use his kingly power to destroy enemies and save his people. And this, it also refers to this future realm of salvation where God's people will be gathered to experience his blessing. Um, and the most distinctive fact of Jesus' proclamation was In, sorry, the most distinctive fact of Jesus' proclamation was its present inbreaking. This idea that they started to see that with Jesus, that line of, hey, this present age is stopped and this new age is starting, really, it, God wasn't choosing to do it that way. You know, Jesus came in, broke into history, and started to inaugurate this new age this kingdom age that was coming about. And he very specifically says, says this in uh, the book of, of Luke. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. The news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. So he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read in the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Excuse me. Oh, wow. Sorry. Um, was handed to him. Had a burp. Uh, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Isaiah, he quotes, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone were on, in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so essentially he, he gets up front, you know, he, he reads this scroll. People knew what the scripture is about. People ha had studied it. And he goes and he, and he sits down and everyone's looking at him. He's like, this is happening right now. I mean, how exciting would that have been? I mean, to just to, to be there and, and like, seriously? You're, you're the one. You're the one. And, and he, he believed that. And here's the thing. He didn't just talk about it. Right? Uh, George Ladd says, Jesus didn't just promise forgiveness of sins. He bestowed it. He gave it to people. He actually gave it. He didn't simply assure people of future fellowship of the kingdom. He invited them, the outsiders, the outcasts, those who are far from God, into fellowship with himself as bearer of the kingdom. He not only taught a future deliverance from physical evil, he went about demonstrating the redeeming power of the kingdom, delivering people from sickness and even death. All those miracles that we see weren't just there to prove that he was God. It was there to demonstrate that God is near in this new age and the power of the new age is in my work and in what I'm doing. Now Paul and some of the uh, other New Testament writers are reflecting on after, after Jesus has, has shown his incredible power uh, to, to rise from the dead. Um, he says this, reflects on this about Jesus and, and, and starts to paint a picture of how we need to see him. It says that, that Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used in his, to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
This idea that it was through humility and suffering that Jesus was exalted. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's, it's this uh, in, in Colossians where Paul says he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy. There's this um, overlap that they, they started to realize and recognize. That what God was doing in Jesus was, was pulling his future Whatever side your future, what is the, this is usually future, okay? So you're reading left to right. This future plan, this rule that God has, he's pulling it from the future into the present and, and saying, right now, even though, even though not everything is resolved, even though not everything has, has, has come to fullness, has come to completion, my kingdom and my power and my rule are, are going to break in. And you see that in the cross. You see that in the miracles. You see that in his resurrection, that power. You see it in the early church, in the book of Acts. You see the spirit of God is, is starting to move. And throughout, and even though, uh, they, they had this imminent return that God was going, Jesus was going to come back. And, and even though it's been 2,000 years, we know that throughout the history of the church is imperfect and, and as, as rough sometimes as the road is, as it has been, God has been faithful and God is working and God is still working. His kingdom power is still very much present. And I believe that that's a message that we need to know as a church and live as a church and embody as a church. And here's the thing. Going back to this, the beginning where I was talking about kingdom, power, authority, rule. You get to the book of Revelation and what does it say? And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God, you know, in, in our weakness, in our frailty, in, in our messed up state decides that, you know, I'm not done with you. I'm not finished with you. That original intention that I put in your heart, this idea that you're going to, to represent me, to rule and reign through me on my behalf, that's still going to happen. Through our King Jesus, who redeems us, and equips us and forgives us and makes us whole again. Makes us into who we were meant to be. Revelations, uh, Revelation 26 says, Blessed and holy are those who share in that first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ. And will reign with him for a thousand years. Uh, mentioning that story that... Uh, um, between Phelps and, and the guy from South Africa, Chad Leclerc. Um, 
So they, they, they ended up swimming against each other, and they... Uh, Phelps ends up winning. I think LeClaude didn't even medal in that one. Uh, but they, they get to Friday night, um, probably the last, last uh, time. I think actually Phelps raced last night, but this is one of the last ones. They had the 100-meter butterfly. And so it's kind of this, this second chance to, you know, get a, a yet another gold medal for Michael Phelps. You know, he's got like 25 or something like that. And, and uh, for LeClaude to maybe, maybe beat him. One last time at the end of uh, his career, or end of Michael's career. And so it starts off, and, and they're going, and something crazy happens. Neither of them win. These guys who are so competitive, who are at the top of their game, top of the world, end up tying for second. Freeway tie with some other guy from, uh, <clears throat> some other guy from Hungary. Oh, I forgot to say that. So, um, so here's the thing. Some guy from Singapore comes out of nowhere, beats them, and then all of a sudden you, you have uh, these three guys standing on the, on the medal stand uh, sharing a, basically a silver medal because they all tied and got third place or second place. You see the, uh, the two guys on the left, you know, top of the world, they're probably in their minds thinking, yeah, this is kind of weird. Like, a, you know, this is the first time this has happened, I think, in swimming Olympic history. And... Uh, the guy from Hungary is probably like, yeah, I'm so excited to be. I didn't even imagine I was going to be up here. So here he is standing next to the, the top of the world. But I thought, man, isn't that, what a picture. Like this, this ego that's, that's so driven and yet, yet they're, they're just, they're sharing second together as, as equals. And I thought, man, that's just, we, we get so wrapped up into competing and building our own kingdom. And it's like, you know, Jesus is first. All right, and, and one day we'll be a part of that new creation, that new heavens, new earth. We're going to be standing alongside each other, and we're going to be like, isn't that awesome? And it's going to be every nation, every tribe, every tongue. You know, um, there's so much div- divisiveness right now in our country and and, and in our world between. Um, changes ethnicity and, and and isn't it beautiful that the kingdom of God is going to look something quite di- a lot different. And we're going to be, be standing next to our brothers and sisters saying, yeah, we're second. And that's okay. Because Jesus is king. And he's brought us along for this incredibly beautiful ride that we did not deserve and that we could not earn for ourselves. He earned us a spot in his kingdom. Um... That phrase, I think it's in your notes here. The power and authority that we so desired is fulfilled through the humility and submission of Jesus Christ. Now, um, here's, the, here's kind of the point I want to land on. All right? Between all this. Where, where does this, where does this kind, of, kind of wrap up? Everything that we long for, the kingdom that we're trying to build, the things that we strive for, all of those longings for power and authority, everything that you long for is connected to the reign of God through King Jesus. Everything that we want and desire is connected to God's reign and rule. And sometimes we just need to step back and hear the message of Jesus the message of John the Baptist that says, hey, hey, your little kingdom that you're building, repent. Repent of that. Because the kingdom of God has come near. 
and it's much bigger and it's more powerful and more incredible than anything that you could build on your own. And for some of you, that's, that's your next step. It's just this repentance because we have, and I, and I have it too. I mean, I, I'll tell you, I, we, we, like I said, we just moved into this house and I have to, I have to watch myself. You know, because I get so obsessed with, with uh, thinking about what, you know, what we can do with our house. And hey, let's do this in the back. And that's okay to some extent. It's okay if you're an Olympic athlete and you're trying to, you're trying to you know, be the best and just push yourself harder. And, um, but we just have to keep an eye on ourselves. And we have to be careful uh, of our hearts and where they go. And that lust for power and authority that can sometimes corrupt us. So in light of... Um, his kingdom, in light of what God is bringing, what God, light of what God has brought here to the present now, in light of that, just five things here. One, experience the transformation of the kingdom. The truth is that um, you see in the scripture, right, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of battles, there's a lot of wars, and theologians, and, and if you read the scriptures, um, you see this turn from... Um, Obviously, Israel as a, as a, as a country fighting a war against um, the powers of the other empires and nations, and you see it turn to a very spiritual battle. It's all about spiritual warfare. Jesus is driving out demons. Paul said our our struggle is not against flesh and blood; it's against the spiritual um, powers and principalities that um, that rule the air. And and so. <clears throat> The transformation of the kingdom recognizes that Satan has been defeated. And through the cross, Jesus has dealt a serious blow to Satan. And for some of us, we're kind of living spiritually apathetic lives. And we settle for that. I know I settle for that sometimes. But to experience transformation means it, 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 you have this intense longing for more. You have this longing to see God's kingdom become alive in your life. One of the, the coolest things I, I've done in my life and been a part of, there's a ministry called Wellsprings and, and they've done some work here at the, here at the church, but it's a ministry that, that is basically helps people to, to break out of spiritual bondage. I remember going through a session one time with them and just talking about there's some junk just from my past that I needed to experience God's forgiveness for, that I needed to, to put out on the table. And, and through that, there was just such incredible spiritual healing. And for, some, for those of you who have been through stuff like that, you know what I'm talking about. For some of you, you're, you're carrying a burden around, a weight around, and you're like, I don't, I don't understand. I just feel... I, I feel trapped. I feel imprisoned. And, and, and maybe Satan's got just got a foothold somewhere in your life. And, and you need to talk with someone and experience some transformation. Um, second thing, demonstrate the reality of the kingdom. We saw that uh, yesterday, uh, the great church giveaway. Some incredible stuff was happening and meeting people's needs. Um, it, it was great, great stuff. Um, I got to be a part of uh, something in Nashville a couple weeks ago with our high school students. We went, this is a picture of us, 
uh, being trained in the evening, worshiping together. We talked about what it means to be student leaders, leaders in our school, in our youth group, in our communities. And, and then during the day, we would go and partner with these ministries. This was a ministry for refugees, and we're praying over this box that was going to be going to a refugee woman and her two kids who were going to be moving there, um, that, that this would, would bless her. Um, we got to partner with some local churches. This was a church uh, um, in uh, downtown... Uh, or part of Nashville um, that's doing some great stuff. It's a historic church. It's been there for like 100 years. Um, and we got to serve them and, and build some planter boxes for them. They wanted to make a community garden. We got to pray over uh, the pastor, Reverend Tamika Robertson, just an incredible woman who has a heart for God, incredible woman who wants to see God move in and through her her community. We got to spend time at uh, Feed America um, packaging food for, for kids. These physical demonstrations of God's kingdom. Because in God's kingdom, right, no one goes hungry. In God's kingdom, everyone has enough. People are provided for. And we want to express that love. We, we also want to bear witness to the power of the kingdom. So not just do good acts. Not just, you know, we talked about grown, the Grown Good series a while back. And, um, but to also talk about it with others. Um, I love this quote by N.T. Wright. He says, you are, strange as though it may seem, almost as hard to believe as the resurrection itself, accomplishing something that will become in due course a part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or walk, every act of care, nurture, comfort, support, all that stuff is becoming a part of God's new world in some way. And we need to not just do those things, man, we gotta, we gotta tell people about that. We gotta tell people that, hey, what I'm doing is not just because it makes me feel good. What I'm doing is a representation and reflection of God's kingdom that has taken hold of my heart and life and God's kingdom that is coming. Um, fourth, we need to embody the values of the kingdom. For this, I'd give you a little homework. Go read the Sermon on the Mount. And check, check that out because the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus flips this whole idea of power and authority upside down. And he, and he, shows, he shows his followers how, um, you know, he talks about if you're angry with a brother or sister and there's hatred in your heart and... Um, or if there is, is, is lust in your heart. For, it's not just about what we do or say on the outside. Just because you haven't, um, you know, taken that next step and actually killed someone. He's like, if you have anger and hatred in your heart for someone, a brother or sister, man, it, don't, don't think that you're going to get away with that. And, and, these, and, and I'm telling you, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, that's challenging. To be told, you know, to be the light of the world. But you guys, the power of Jesus, do not underestimate the power of Jesus. When you invite him into your heart and life and allow that to take root. And there's, there's no, there's, there's, there's nothing that can stop you from being used by God to live out a fuller expression of his kingdom and power in your life. So let's seek that. And then finally, um, 
clicker on. Anticipate the consummation of the kingdom. Joyfully anticipate the consummation of the kingdom. Live as if the kingdom is, is, is coming. Again, the kingdom has come. It's been inaugurated by Jesus through his powerful life and death and, and resurrection. But there's this, hey, God's kingdom is here, but it's not yet fulfilled. So there's this moment on the horizon that is coming where God is going to restore all things. And I mean, wouldn't it be great if we, you know, if we walked out of here and that was what we saw, you know, God's kingdom coming here to earth and him restoring all things. You know, for some of us, we're like, oh, what is happening? But, you know, it, or if we woke up tomorrow morning and, and, and God's kingdom was coming, because it is. And in the midst of all the political turmoil and all of the crazy events that are happening around the world with terrorists and, and with uh, um, racism and with, it is so easy. I was talking to someone this week who came out and was doing some work for my house and, and he's, he's, you know, I don't, he was going on a rant about how someone ran him off the road. He was driving to Morris and someone tried to play chicken with him and ran him off. Man, isn't it? Ah, people these days, the world, is, you know, it's terrible. And it's easy to get that doom and gloom and kind of get low and, and just kind of complain. And, and, and I'm like, eh, yeah, yeah. I probably should have said something more spiritual. But I, I kind of just do the job, man. Um, but this, this idea that like we can get so trapped in the, this thinking, this doom and gloom. And the church has to be the people that embody the hope and joyfully anticipate the consummation of the kingdom. Um, last month, uh, I got to celebrate um, 10 years of marriage with my wife, um, which is cool um, because it was actually our 11th year. But the, the trip that we had planned to celebrate, we, we did it, we planned it like back during 10 years. So she would always give me a hard time because I'd be like, she's like, babe, we've been married 11 years. I know, but this is our 10-year trip, okay? So the thing that we did for our trip was we got to hang out with one of um, mine and Amy's favorite bands, a band called um, Switchfoot. And my clickers died. Brent, your clicker died. Earl, I need a new clicker. Um, this band uh, called Switchfoot, and they've been around since I was in high school. I've been following them. They just released their 10th album. It's awesome. Go get it. But um, we got to hang out with them, and, and man, I respect these guys so much, and their music has had such a powerful influence and impact on my life. And uh, earlier this year, they got to go, and they recorded a music video and, and did a concert in, the, in Manila in the Philippines, um, which is kind of home country to me, because my, my dad is, grew up in the Philippines, and I'm half Filipino. Um, but they went to, like, one of the poorest places on earth, and they did, like, this little makeshift concert, like, right out. Like, you could see there's these battered, broken buildings, and, um, and, and I remember reading a, a, a blog, or a, just a journal entry from, from John, the lead singer, he said, you know, it was kind of crazy because the album, we had to get back, rush back to the States because we had to finish the album. But we were there. And he's like, when I was there and, and being in one of these, the, the poorest places and just playing music for these kids and bringing joy, you know, to their hearts. He's, he said, I realize why we do this. I realize why. And, and I'm telling you, you, you listen to their songs, you, you hear their lyrics 
and, and you get, you'll get it. But he says, we sing because we're alive. We sing because we're looking for a resolution. We sing because we're thirsty for more. We sing because hope deserves an anthem. And I remember reading that. It moved me so much. I'm like, yes. Hope deserves an anthem. And that's kind of like one of the themes like of their, their new album. This idea that man, who's going to bring hope? Who's going to bring change to this world? I mean, think about it. Think about it. Really think about it. Who can impact the world on such a huge scale to bring transformation, that resolution, that longing for peace and justice, fairness, equity, for things to be good, for evil to be gone? King Jesus. King Jesus. Because everything that we long for is connected to the reign of God, this reign that is, that is come, it's present, it's here and yet it's coming. Let's be a church. Let's be a people that embodies that hope. Let hope be the anthem of our song, of our life, as we live it out and express that hope, the power of the resurrection, the power of King Jesus. Well, I want to stand together, and um, our Savior Jesus gave us um, this prayer called the Lord's Prayer, and, um, and I love it. And I pray this, uh, I try to pray this every day and, and pray with my kids because it's, 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 it's so theologically rich and, and it's something that, um, uh, that I think directs us and guides us and gives us the right mindset. And um, so this, this kingdom prayer, this sort of mission statement of Jesus, let's um, read this, let's pray this together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen? Heavenly Father, God, you rule, you reign, you are on the throne. And so, God, give us the grace and give us the power of your Holy Spirit to walk with you, to live for you, to look at the things in our life that aren't in line with your love and your, your power and your glory and your kingdom and to decide to repent and change. God, call us toward you. Let us shout it. Let us speak it. God, from the mountaintops, let us speak it from the alleys. Let us speak it from the places uh, of the poor. Let us speak it in, in Haiti, in St. Lucia, in Manuka, wherever we are at. God, let us be representatives of your hope and your name and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.